Hey, everybody, it's Russ Story, Story Wealth Management, your money, your story. Hey, today we're going to talk about how we manage money, how we can manage money for you. We're going to talk about investing for your kids' future, and we're going to talk about the investment company's big lie. I know I go from rags to riches. Oh, yeah. Would only say you care. Well, well, I do care. Okay, here we go. So I care so much. I want to share some stuff with you that I've gleaned over the last, oh, I don't know, 26, 27 years of meeting with folks every day, helping our clients solve tough financial problems. That's kind of what we do. And, uh, you know, after you meet with folks day in, day out, you, you kind of pick up a thing or two, okay, because we've been around a day or two. So hopefully we're going to share some stuff with you. Uh, today that's going to help you and your family and, and, uh, in, in ways that you never thought possible. And we're also going to have more fun than an investment program is supposed to have. Okay. Um, I want to remind you who you're dealing with. This is Russ Story. I'm president and CEO. Thank you very much. A Story Wealth Management Group here in beautiful historic downtown Douglas, Georgia. Our uh, telephone number is 912-384-0030, and we would encourage you to give us a call. Um, if you got some issues you'd like to talk about, if you've inherited some money, some folks you know have, have maybe sold some timber, sold some property, sold some real estate, a lot of selling going on right now. It's, a, it's, a, it's a basically a, a seller's market, they say. Maybe sold some timber. Who knows? Inherited a little money. Maybe it's getting ready, getting right. Maybe it's your time here. Maybe you, you're you're about to retire. Maybe you're about to uh, move on to your uh, next phase in life. Okay, it's kind of like a checking the second childhood without uh, you know supervision. So uh, maybe that uh, will be a good thing to do. And we we serve an awful lot of clients. We're in about eleven states, I think now, primarily in the southeast. We got clients up and down the seaboard, but uh, it's uh, they're the most incredible, awesome folks in the world, and that would be our clients, and we appreciate you if you're listening today. So I want to talk a little bit, and I've been working through a series, really, on how we manage money and why we do what we do. You know, we um, offer investment models, and they're basically put together based on some criteria. It's a strategy. It's a discipline. It's not a product. It's a process, okay? One of the things that I'm going to talk about is, is one of the components in this model that helps us, I believe, manage risk, okay? Um, my clients typically say, Russ, you know, this is what's important to me. I want to make money, but rule number one is don't don't lose my money. Manage risk. That's rule number one, risk management. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one, okay? And rule number three would be, hey, I want to make money while the sun shines. If everybody else is out here making, making money, I, I want to do the same, right? Okay, so this is sort of our philosophy. You know, it's uh, um, we, we, can, we can go to cash. Okay, we we can, what I mean by that is if you've got your money invested, and we believe that the things that have caused the market to go down and deteriorate in the past or in uh, are, are happening, then we can and will in fact uh, move money to to cash and, and get the re- remove the that particular uh, investment risk from from the 
from the equation. So, or certainly uh, help reduce it. So, one of the things we use is something I want to talk about this morning. I think it makes us unique. Uh, the first time I remember, I was a young lad. I was at a meeting in Boston, and we were at a steakhouse. And sitting across the table from me were a couple of institutional guys from uh, J.P. Morgan Bank. And what they were talking about was how they were managing their, I mean, this this particular guy uh, managed uh, a, a bunch of money, uh, millions and billions of dollars, basically. He And um and, and I started asking him questions about the way he, that they manage risk. And one of the components that you don't hear about much, you know, the, at Story Wealth Management Group, we believe that we should buy, hold, and sell. Okay. You know, you, you talk to the guys down the street, it's a whole different, a whole different deal, in my opinion. They want to talk about buy and hold. And that's fine if you want to assume 100% of the risk all the time and you want to be invested in everything all the time. But what we try to do for our clients is help 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 reduce the risk of of investing in these type of investments by having some strategies and some disciplines to help reduce risk. Bull sentiment index is one of those things that we we use. That's a component that we use in the um, in our model, and it determines uh, several things. Now, let me explain to you what bull sentiment index is all about. Okay. Let's say that you've got, I don't know, uh, 10 people who are knowledgeable folks. Maybe they're, they're research people. And out of 10, you've got nine that say that XYZ stock is a strong buy. Okay. Well, you'd say, well, golly day, Russ, it must mean that these guys are pretty smart, right? It must mean that XYZ stock's a pretty good thing to buy. Well, it might be a good quality company. The prospects may look very good. But we wouldn't actually put that in the investment portfolio. Well, why is that, Russ? It seems like, you know, you got nine out of 10 folks saying it's a great deal. You know, why wouldn't you, who are you to disagree, right? Well, what we found using bull sentiment index research is called sentiment research, okay? Is that it's more the psychology of what's going on in the market. If nine out of ten folks are, are saying, or research departments per se, they're saying that that X Y Z is a good buy. Maybe it's going to make all kind of money. We're probably too late because if 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 three out of ten were saying it was a good investment, and the rest of the research stacked up like it should, then then maybe it would be, in fact, time to, to pull the trigger and, and put that in the investment portfolio. Typically, when we're fully invested, we hold 30 different positions in our, in our models, okay? We got growth model. We got quality income portfolio. That's two. We've got value, what we call our peach value portfolio on our eagle growth. But, and we've got a modified quip as well for different particular situations, but there's, there's a, a, a rule that we have. We want, if, if all the other research uh, that we do, if it comes out and, and, it, and, and basically this XYZ company said, boy, it's past all the other screens, we need to put it in there. But last but not least, the bull sentiment index for that is say uh, 80. It would not go in the portfolio. Now, if it was anywhere between 30 and 70, it would go in the portfolio. Well, that sounds kind of wacky, Russ. What's that all about? Well, okay, so why in the world if 9 out of 10 folks are saying this is a good thing, right, uh, 
why would we say, well, we just go back and research history. And what we know is that sometimes it kind of works this way. And, and you've got to have, you don't want to be the 12th man on the deal team last to know. Let me give you an example. Let's say that Hannah and I are going to a party party. And that party starts at 8 o'clock, right? So we get ready. We're messing around. Well, come to find out we had a flat tire. We couldn't get off in time. And by about 9.30, it's time, you know, we, we can get off. So we we talk about it, and we say, well, should we go into the party? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? Well, let's go on over there. We told them we come. So it's 9.30, and we go to this party that started at 8 o'clock, right? We get over there, and all the punch, people have already drunk all the punch, all the dip and the chip, so they're gone. They've been eating. They had some pizza over there, and. There's an old piece with anchovies on it. We don't want that. So we're late. Well, how about old Joe? He, he said he was coming to the party. Well, you just missed him. Joe came and he, we had a good time and you know, the band's getting tired and Joe's gone home and the chips and dip. What, what, what happened? We were too late. We probably should have just stayed home and waited and gone to the next party party. Right? So this is what I'm talking about. It might've been, it may have been a great party, but the last thing we want to do is to be 12th man on the deal team, last to know, get in at the end of a trend. You see, and I would argue, in my opinion, that if 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 uh, uh, Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch or whoever they've had they've had a strong buy on a particular investment for a period of time, they've already allocated them the money and the funds and they, so there's, you have a problem of demand and, and maybe this, um, but I believe that sentiment analysis and I've gone back and looked and back tested it over the last 35 years, we've looked at it. And this is a major component. You, you know, what I do when I talk about how we manage money, I, I try to share with you as best I can, what we do, because at the end of the day, you can do this. It's not rocket science per se. I mean, some of it, you know, is a little bit complicated, I'll admit. And you, you got to be exposed to some of these things and know about them. But I'm certainly willing to share them. But the reality is, how much time do you have in a day? You know, do you have a job? Do you have family to tend to? You know, for, for what little tiny bit of, of fee that, that Story Wealth Management may may um, glean from, from our work. I mean, quite honestly, I don't think you've got time to do what we do the way we do it. Um, so anyway, but, but just to give you an idea, bull sentiment index is something that, that we certainly look at. Um, I'll also tell you this. Um, let's see. I believe you can go to dollar sign. If you go to stock charts, you can go to dollar sign um, BSIPX, and you'll find uh, one of the bull sentiment indicators that we, in fact, use. So, <clears throat> okay. So, next thing I want to talk about is investing for your for your kids' future. Okay. You know, I got a call. I get calls from time to time. You know, Russ, uh, my kids, what should we do? You know, we, we got some situations here. We got a couple of kiddos and we want to start putting some money back for them. What should we do? Right. Um, well, I'm going to cover that. Also, I want to remind you that we are on Apple podcasts. We're on Spotify. Uh, check us out. Uh, you can go to your money, your story. 
and we pop right up. I think we're the first one that comes up, Your Money, Your Story. Uh, go to our website, storywealth.com. One of the things we're going to have come up in the next week or so, we're going to schedule uh, some workshop times. Uh, COVID seems to be on the wane a bit, and, uh, you know, the old bull market seems to be, you know, huffing and puffing. So um, one of the things we're going to do is, is probably have some public workshops where you can go in and sign up and come sit down and, and listen and, and maybe even have a meal. We don't know about that, but we're, we're going we're gonna to do some things to try to promote um, your financial future, your personal investments, and this type of thing. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit about investing for kiddos, right? Kids and grandkids, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, as a parent, I know that we all want to do everything we can, everything possible to keep our kids um, you know, as primed for success as possible. We want to do the best we can for them. And I, and I know a lot of folks are going to ask, well, how in the world can we invest for our kids or grandkids? Well, first of all, I think knowing the power of compound interest, whether you do or not, it, you know, it, it can really help kickstart a kid's savings if you start uh, to put money aside for a child as soon as possible, as early as possible. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So let's take a look. Let's dig in a little bit. Now, first of all, I want to say this before, and this is my strong opinion, before you invest on behalf of your kids or grandkids, I'd encourage you to take a look at your retirement plan. If your retirement plan is on track and you're getting done what you need to do, that's one thing. But I would pump the brakes a little bit and I'd make sure that your personal retirement plan is what it is. Because guess what? Your kids in 20 years, they're, they're probably not going to fund your retirement account. Okay. You're responsible for your retirement account. They got a lifetime to work. So I want to encourage you, be confident about your retirement situation. Now, if you want to talk about what you've got and where you are retirement-wise, give us a call. This is Russ Story. I'm at 912-384-0030. Send me an email, rstory at storywealth.com. I'd be glad to answer it. I will respond. I won't farm it off to somebody else. You'll hear from me, okay? So that's my commitment to you right now on this date, 413 of 21. Um, so hear me loud and clear. Don't start investing for your children's future until you have pretty well put in place a plan for your own. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's like being in an airplane. They say when the oxygen leaves the co the cockpit or whatever, you put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on your kid. That way you're able to help them. Okay. I think that principle certainly uh, makes a lot of sense right, right here. So now that's out of the way, let's talk about the different types of accounts and what's going on with kids. There was a recent survey. 84% of millennials are saddled with regret over student loan debt. There's a lot of kids wishing they could hit rewind and do things differently. So if you're sitting here and you're saying, well, so, you know, I'm going to help my kids go to college. Well, that's fine. And certainly if you do, it'll slow down maybe some of the debt that they may have to incur anything that you can do here and, and, and now. But I also think it's important to realize a lot of kids aren't going to go to college. 
And so we need to look at, at ways that we can help. So, you know, going forward, one of the programs that, that are out, that's out there, uh, we call it an ESA or a Coverdale Savings Plan. It's a great place to start. Basically, it's similar to an IRA. It has similar, it has a couple limitations. Um, the maximum you can put in a, an ESA plan is $2,000 a year. And the second, if you're married, filing joint, you're making over about $220,000. I'm not sure what it's going to be for 21, but then you, you, you actually, um, you can't make a contribution to an ESA. Okay. So they limit that. <clears throat> so if you want to limit, if you want to put in $2,000 and want to put in more, you can put some extra dollars in what's called a 529 plan. And, and I, I like the 529 plans. They work out okay. They're, you know, it, basically you make a smart school choice. It can help them avoid this future debt that they're going to incur probably without some financial help, and they'll certainly thank you later. So a lot of people want to think ahead of that. Okay. Now, now let me let me explain to you what I mean. Some people want to look further down the road for the kids. And I think that's um that's that's pretty cool. Because one of the things that we know is time marches on. And 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 I think that uh I can't imagine a time in the future where a kid would regret that their parents or grandparents had put some money aside for for them. So if you're thinking a little farther ahead, I think it's great. Never too early to begin to save for this retirement. Um, if your kid has a part-time job, um, you, you may want to, want to, want to take a look at, at, uh, a custodial IRA, but they have to have earned income to be able to contribute to an IRA and a custodial IRA is an IRA for them, but the parent <clears throat> is, um, is basically custodian until they're either 18 or 21, depending on the state you're in. But with a custodial IRA, you can open a traditional um, Roth IRA, uh, or a regular IRA. I recommend a Roth in this situation because we have so many years to compound based on current tax laws. Roth is the definitely the, the, the choice to, to go with, but, and, and the, the, the money will grow tax free. You won't get a deduction or whatever, but the money will compound and grow tax free. And the income coming out of the Roth should, should be distrib distributed tax free as well. They can actually take money out for education, um, in in you know as long as they meet some, certain requirements, and they're pretty liberal. Um, but uh, you know, a child has to have some type of earned income to be able to put money in a Roth IRA. Now, okay, so of all these that I've talked about. Okay, five twenty nine plan. Um, there's what's called an UGMA account, Uniform Gift to Minors Act account. All of them work pretty close the same way. Um, I like the the, uh, the 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 Roth IRA if we can do it. But again, you got to show the kid taking income. If you've got your own business out here, a small business, you can cut off, let the S or the C Corp or the LLC maybe pay the kid. Okay. And that way you can, can get it, you know, put over into, to a Roth IRA, but you have to show the kid with some earned income. So, so I want to show you what just setting aside. Okay. I, I don't know if I, I probably mentioned this on these podcasts before, but let me share this with you. Albert Einstein was walking out of this symposium one time. And uh, this is sort of a legend, but he comes out and the reporter asked him, um, Dr. Einstein, 
What's the most powerful force in the world? Of course, the reporter, I'm sure, expected him to say something about a nuclear fission or something, you know, um, maybe a little more complicated. But they said he turned and he immediately responded, compound interest. And I think when you look at some, in my work, I know what happened with a client of mine in 1994 when they invested with me. That's been a long time ago, right? That's many moons ago. Um, but over the years, I see what compound interest has done for for them and for their family and this fella and for his, for his son, uh, particularly the one I've got in mind. But um, just setting aside a few dollars, even when a kid's a teenager, can help them get a jump start on retirement and help them experience and benefit from this power of compound interest. So, <clears throat> excuse me, Hannah, pull up this right quick, and let me see if I can show the folks. Um, now I'm going to read it out, too, if you're looking at a podcast. What this is is showing, let's say that you put in $2,400, right? $2,400 when a kid's 16 years old. Maybe they're out here cutting grass and you supplement. Maybe they can put the $2,400 in. By the end of the year, you got 24, 20, uh, 25, 24. And this is based on the compound interest, about 11%. You say, well, how are you going to get that? Well, we're just looking back and extrapolating based on what the stock market's done over a long time. 17, you put in another 2,400. Now the account value is up to 5341. 18, another 2,400, 2,400, 19, 2,400. So from age 16 to age 20, right? So you for five years, you've put in $2,400 for this kid, right? So contributions stop after that. We got no more money. So at 21, they got $17,743 in their account, okay? That's $2,400 a year times five, 16, 2,400, 17 years of age, 2,400, 18, 19, 20, right? Okay. Well, let's go on down and look. When they're 30, the money's worth 47,536 based on compound interest. Another 10 years, it's worth $142,093. By the time they're 50, it's worth 424,739. And by the time they're 60, your child could be a millionaire, $1.2 million. Um, so total amount invested, total amount invested, if they just leave that to life expectancy. We've invested a total of $12,000, and through the, the, the awesome power of compound interest, you know, the value could be, say, $2 million by the time that they cross the river and they pass. So that that's very powerful, I think. That's a... That's a very powerful story. Uh, putting money aside for kids, uh, we'll be, you know, look, we're certainly happy to help you with that, uh, especially if you're a client of ours. We, we would love to sit down and talk to you about ways to, to get some money over to the kids or grandkids. Um, actually, that $2.1 million is actually the money at, set at 65. Okay, so, yeah, I was thinking that was, but it's not. That, that compound interest from 60 to 65, based on the, the numbers we, we kind of extrapolate. Uh, and I will be honest, I've got a client since 1994, and that client has actually done a little better than, than the compound interest rate that we, that we use for this, okay? So anyway, um, don't discount 
the power of compound interest. Um, probably, really and truly, anything you can do for the kid uh, as early as possible is going to be an amazing and wonderful thing. Okay. All right. So I'm going to my next um, my next issue here, and and here I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a fight. Right. I do that from time to time. There's issues over a 26 year career that I've picked up on that I really don't particularly like. And one is the fact that the investment companies use something called um, uh, something called average annualized rate of return. Uh, let's see if I can get this going here. Slideshow. The left button. Yeah, on the very far left. Play from beginning under file. That one? Yes, sir. Okay. All right, you got that? Yes. Now, you can't see it if you're on the podcast, but I'm going to read it to you, so it's good. What's the average annual return in the U.S. stock market? Well, one of the things that I have a problem with right, right away is something called average rate of return. Okay, I call it the big lie, and I want to talk about the mathematics of this and why I think it is, in fact, the big lie. It depends on what the average annualized rate of return is for the stock market. You say, well, Russ, how much am I going to make over the next 10 years? Well, I don't know. I mean, we've got, you know, we, we, we're, our objective is to do really remember the three things. Uh, try to protect your money uh, and try to protect it from all risks, and there's a bunch of them, not just, not just investment risk, but there's, there's quite a few. And that's uh, try to manage risk. Uh, rule number two is don't forget rule number one. And rule number three is we want to make hay while the sun shines. But the fact of the matter is we're uh, swimming in a pond here and we don't control the, the floodgates, right? From 1976 to 86, the average annualized rate of return of the stock market was 21.2%. From 61 to 71, it was 11.4%. And from 64 to 74, it was a, a measly 4.1%. So it depends, right? It depends. Let me ask you a question. The guy that, in, that, that, that retired in 1961 and transferred his money over into a rollover IRA, he made 11, he was dealing with a market that made 11.4% over the next 10 years. The guy that retired in 76, was dealing with a market that averaged 21.2%. Well, do you think the guy was twice as smart who in, retired in 76 versus the guy that retired in 61? No. So it ain't about smarts per se. It's about dealing with the markets that were dealt. Does that make sense? I mean, dealing with what we're, we got. You know what? You know, if, if, if I was, uh, you know, some rich my parents had $40 million and I inherited that $40 million. And, and at the end of the time, you know, it, you, you do business, you do the best you can with what you have versus a guy that, you know, borrowed money to go to school. He's still borrowing money. He's doing everything he can. He's working. His, we do the best we can with what we have. So let's talk a little bit about average annualized rate of return and why I disagree with it so much, right? If we had an investment, let's say we had a CD, which you ain't going to get this, not right now, but let's say the CD was paying 6%. Well, the average rate of return over a 10-year CD at 6% would be 6%. So what we'd have, would we'd start with 100000 
6% interest credit would be $6,000. If we took the 6,000 out and spent it, we at the end of the year, we'd still have a hundred thousand. And if we did that every year for 10 years, we'd get $500 a month or $6,000 a year. And at the end of 10 years, we'd have a hundred thousand dollars, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what we think about when we think about, you know, how much, how, how much did I make? Well, you made 6%. Okay. So this is a picture here of up and down. And, but at the end of the time, you started with a hundred, you ended a hundred because you get that 6% is consistent. It's constant. It pays 6% every year. This is one of the things we look at when it comes to income investments. Um, our clients are either in one or two places in their lives. It's either income now Russ, I got X amount of money and I need to draw an income stream because my bills come to you every month. Okay. Well, that's an income now situation. Or the client is in a situation where they have income, they need income later. So income later means, well, I don't think I'm going to retire for about five years or, or maybe 10 years or whatever. I don't think I'm going to, well, we want to grow that money. So that's an income later situation. So it, and, and, it, and it certainly matters, I would argue, all day long. So here's a Monte Carlo simulation. I'm not going to get into the whole deal, but this is showing a 6% average rate of return, average annualized rate of return over a 10-year period of time. But we didn't make 6% each year. We made less some years and more some years. First year, we lost 30%. Second year, we lost 20%. Holy cow. That's terrible. But then it's okay. We made 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. We made 20 and we made 30. So if you if you run the numbers on that, <clears throat> you take it by 10, add it up and divide it, you got a 6% average annualized rate of return. But here's the problem with that. Because we lost money the first two years and we drew $6,000 a year, because remember, our withdrawal rate, we're taking that 6%. We're, we're going to take that 6% out. Well, after the first year, because you had such a drop, the hundred thousand is now worth sixty-four thousand. After five years of this scenario, it's at forty thousand. And by the time the tenth year rolls around, although you got twenty percent and thirty percent, you're now your value is thirty-eight thousand eight ninety-eight. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. How is it that I had an average rate of return on my money? I deposited a hundred thousand dollars. And I had an average rate of return over 10 years of 6%, because that's right, that's 6%. But now I've started with 100, but now I've got less than $40,000. Is that what you're telling me? Exactly. This is an example of average annualized rate of return and how it matters. Uh, some people call it sequence of return. It matters. Okay, these assumptions matter. All right, let's, let's okay, there's a picture of it right there. Uh, you said, well, golly, wouldn't the, okay, here's, here's a, here's another situation. Okay. What I did in this example is we had 30% the first year. We got a 20% return the second year. We got 10%, 10%, 10, 10, 10, 10. And then years nine, we lost 20 and years 10, we lost 30. So I just flipped the losing years and the big gaining years on top of each other. Right. I just, I, I should, okay. Well, oh boy. Well, we really look good because that hundred thousand is now worth one hundred and thirty minus our six withdrawal, so we're at one hundred and twenty-four. But if you run these numbers all the way down to the end, you're you're still averaging. You still have an average annualized rate of return of six percent. But at at the bottom, it's one hundred and five thousand dollars. Now, 
I don't know about you, but to me, this type of roller coaster ride, I don't know that it'd be worth $105,000. Why take the chance on this sequence of return biting you in the shorts? Why would you do that? Well, a lot of people are doing this and they don't even understand what they're doing. Okay. Let me tell you something. You hear me now and believe me later. If you're getting close to retirement, you need to talk to us. If, if you're if you're in retirement and you say, well, I got all my stuff, get a second opinion. It doesn't hurt anything. Send me an email, rstory at storywealth.com, or give us a call at 912-384-0030. That's, that's a scary situation. That's a roller coaster ride. I, I, you know, so it depends on how you get the 6%. Let me tell you something. You go down the street and talk to some of these guys down here, and they're going to talk about what? They're going to run you reports. They're going to run you what's called hypotheticals, showing you historical rates of return, which are probably don't apply to anything right now because we don't invest in the past. We invest for the what? For the future. Okay? But it depends on how you get your 6% rate of return. Sequence of return matters. Average annualized rate of return is the investment industry's big lie, okay? And this matters. Now, I understand this. I don't know if you've been, you say, well, I, you know, that's all, yeah, I want to understand. Listen to me. It, it matters. And if you go down and you sit down and you're talking to somebody and you're trying to meet a goal or investment objective and they start talking about average annualized rate of return, get yourself up and walk away. You know, walk out. Say, hey, thanks for the for the Diet Pepsi, but I, I got to leave, okay? And you move on. I don't care how nice the guy is. Um, again, um, check us out. Take a look at our at our website, um, storywealth.com, and we, we'd love to, to, to give you a second opinion. We analyze for this. One other thing, and it's not on my list, but I want to mention to you right quick, I, I think – um, I am, um, I'm Russ Story, certified wealth strategist. Um, you know, where I'm a, um, registered investment advisor representative. I, I, I do all the things that I can to try to make sure that I'm up to speed for, for you and, and, and your, your family and those folks who have entrusted uh, their, their, their hard earned money with us. Uh, I, I don't, one thing for sure. Never suspect that I take it lightly. It is an incredible honor. Okay. But, but things like this that I've seen in the investment industry to sell investment products, I think is, is, uh, is a real problem. And I think it's an issue. And the, the industry talks about changing this and doing this. And they're always, you know, uh, finding this outfit and trying to, you know, what, but very few times do they actually get to the nuts and bolts of things like average annualized rate of return that could make a difference for, for the client and the investor as far as providing their information. Um, I want to mention one other thing. I, you know, I, I've been doing this a long time. I want to tell you I'm, I'm a Christian, okay? It's, it's part of who I am. It's, it's part of what we do. Uh, I believe that we're in the middle of a cultural battle. I believe it's a spiritual battle, and I believe that there are things that we can do uh, to try and promote and support the companies 
and the people that are trying to do things right. You know, a lot of these companies out here are making choices. Uh, you may agree with them. You may not. I think there's a lot of companies out here doing things that they're supporting things. You know, the sad reality is if you invest your money, if you invest your money with a company that's promoting a certain particular uh, type of um, behavior, activity, uh, product, or service that you don't agree with as a Christian, then if your money's invested in it, whether you know it or not, uh, sometimes we talk about sin uh, where I go to church. And there is a sin of commission and there's sin of omission. But uh, one of the things I will share with you that, that has been particularly on my mind, and I think the Lord has convicted me of this as a Christian, is that we need to be held accountable for the things that we support with our money. You know, we get to vote for the president one time out of four years, right? And you're one vote out of gazillion zillion, right? How many folks are in this country? 340 million people? Okay, you get to vote one time. But every day we do what? We vote with our pocketbook. We really do. We vote with our pocketbook. Uh, investments that we make help finance different um, different narratives, different uh, different things. And if that thing is something that you agree with, one of the things that I want to share with you is that we at Story Wealth are cognizant of that. We have uh, tools, and I'm certainly willing to talk about this on a, on a show, um, that where we analyze to determine whether or not the investments that we make with the companies that we make are supporting the things that that we believe are going to be positive, uh, noble uh, Christian values for our children and our grandchildren. So anyway, um, hey, it's good talking with you today. Always good to be here. Y'all have a blessed week and a blessed weekend. Thank you and God bless.